Welcome back to Presidents and Politics. I am one of your hosts, Caleb McGee. I am a professor here at Southeastern University, and I'm joined by my fellow host, uh, former Congressman Ross. And today we're going to talk about John Adams uh, as we continue our series on presidents and politics. Now, John Adams, Dennis, is really interesting for many reasons, one of being he's really the forgotten founding father. Which is really unique, but when you think of, of, of the the, the quality of humility that's so necessary for effective leaders. John Adams, his legacy is that humility because we, we have kind of forgotten him, but without him, we would not have the details of history. We would not have so many things. Massachusetts wouldn't have their own constitution that he drafted. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that John Adams did that he didn't get the recognition for, but yet without him, we wouldn't have had the solid foundation that we have in, in our country. Yeah, uh, we were talking about David McCullough before this started. David McCullough calls him the forgotten patriot, yeah. right? Uh, there are no currency with, with, with Adam's face on it. There is no monument. In fact, he's one of the few founding fathers there's no monument to at all. Like He is a forgotten type of figure. And I think one of the reasons possibly why that may be is because he was in many ways in the shadow of Washington, right? Very much so. And everything that Washington was, Adams was not. No, and even even in physical stature. Absolutely. I mean, here you have this diminutive, you know, little guy, yes. robust, short guy, yes. uh, balding, yes. uh, and who almost has a chip on his shoulder, but he's in the shadow, literally, yes. of George Washington, serves as his first vice president, serves, serves as the pr first president of the Senate, yes. and calls it the most useful job in the country. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, she was speaking truth back then, probably, but yes. um, it, it's interesting because we say he was forgotten, yet look at... There, there are no monuments, and yet he was an abolitionist. Mm -hmm. He's one of the few, if only, founding fathers that didn't have slaves because right. he did not believe in it. That's right. And 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 we should be we should be relishing that now. Yes. We should be recognizing that. Yes. We should be saying, "Hey, look, here's a stalwart that was so integral." In fact, there was a debate between him and Jefferson as to who would write the Declaration of Independence, yes. and they they both wanted each other to write it. And yeah. finally, you know, Jefferson agreed to do that. Although uh, John Adams did review it afterwards, but. I mean, these are significant moments in American history. When you look at the quality of his upbringing, he was a school teacher. Yeah. He was self-taught lawyer. Mm -hmm. uh, dad was a farmer. Yes. Mom was probably illiterate more than likely from what yep. we know. And his dad, if I'm not mistaken, fixed shoes on the sides. He was a farmer and a part-time cobbler. Isn't right? that amazing? Yeah. And he comes from this, this background, which he's such good friends with Jefferson. Well, through most of the time. And then, yeah. of course, there's a whole fallout. But up until this point, how much... Uh, different could you be between Jefferson, who Jefferson says his first memory was being carried on a pillow by house servants. <laughs> and then you have Adams, who was a hunter, who yeah. was a farmer. Yeah, and dad was... fixed shoes on the side. Yeah, yeah. But like, but like you said, the physical stature is maybe part of this. He did have kind of a stick chip on his shoulder, right? He's small. True. You look at pictures, he looks like a little chair. Remember, like my grandma had the precious moments. He looks like yeah. a little precious moments. And I think that that really made him internalize the reality that if he was going to be something in life, he had to use his mind. And I would say he's probably the most brilliant of all the presidents we had. I I just would find it hard to disagree acuity. with you. And and not only that, but he was the least political and the most Agreed. passionate, I think, about the future. And he looked long term. Yes. But also as a lawyer, he believed in the sanctity of the law, mm. he believed in the rule of law, and he believed in the independence of the judiciary. And even though he was one of the original Sons of Liberty that was sparking the revolution, he agreed to represent the British soldiers in the Boston Massacre, yes. which was a reputational risk on his part. Absolutely. And But because of his belief in due process, because of his belief in a fair trial, he represented 
the British, which is the soldiers, which is amazing. Was amazing, and yes. he, he was ridiculed. He was denigrated. Yes, and he acquitted five of the seven or seven of the nine. I think it was. You know, it was amazing. And then he went back to doing what he believed in, which yes. was the the fight for independence. Yes. That, that, where do you find that type of character today? <laughs> you know, it's it, who truly takes self interest and puts it on the side. And looks at the greater good and the foundation upon which we are going to build a better nation. Yes. I mean, John Adams got it. He knew it. And he, he lived it. And yet we forgot it. Mm. And, and that's why I think this podcast is so important about John Adams, because he was one of the most significant players in building this country. And I like that you said he was probably in many ways the least political. And I would agree with you completely yeah. on this. And in many ways, I, correct me if, if, you, if you disagree with this, I would say in some ways he was distrusting of politicians. Oh, yeah. And I think he got that from Washington. I agree. I think, he, <laughs> I think his, 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 uh, his, his feelings for Washington were so strong that, that he believed that Washington was right about political parties, yes. about you know, trying to keep the politics out of things. And, uh, and Adams, unfortunately, in his re-election bid, was the victim <laughs> of severe and, and slander. Vicious, slanderous, yes. <laughs> uh, and I think I, I saw the quote that, that Thomas Jefferson charged that Adams was a hideous hermaphroditical <laughs> character who smuggled prostitutes into the country from England and planned to, planned to marry one of his sons to a daughter of King George III to establish a royal bloodline. I mean, this is the campaign. And you can almost hear, paid for by the campaign of Thomas Jefferson. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then the, 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 the Adams supporters said that Jefferson was a coward, a French radical, an infidel who would seize this country's Bibles and allow the, the refuse of Europe to flood American shores. I, I mean... Guys, this is nothing new, okay? Absolutely. You know, it was vicious back then, and yes. that was the start of the political parties. Yes. You know, Adams was a federalist. He believed in a strong central government. Uh, Jefferson was a Democrat-Republican, and he believed more in states' rights, and that's what started divide. And then that presidential election, how, mm -hmm. how you know, close it was, uh, and it went to, I don't know how many ballots. You, you probably know better than I do, but um, that's what, what changed the course of, of how we— Campaign yes. for president. Yes. And it's funny how it doesn't take uh, any time at all. I mean, Washington, of course, he's in control of, of the military for eight years and then the president for eight years. So for 16 years, you've had this this man of dignity hold the office, right? There, there's a word that's used to describe him that I like called gravitas. Yeah. And we need some people of gravitas again. I agree. Right? Like we, we really, really need some people of gravitas. And then we go from Washington after almost 20 years of his leadership to the first time having a legitimately hard-run election. Because nobody's really going to run against Washington no. these first two times. So the first time we have a legitimately hard-run election, and already you have the mudslinging. Already you have the divisional yep. politics. Like, at the very inception of what this, this two-party political system is, it got nasty at the very beginning. You hear people like, well, it hasn't always been this way. It, it pretty much has always been this way. It, uh, it always has been this way. With the, with the exception of Washington, yes. it has always been this way. Yes. Now, does that make it bad? Does that make it— no. Look, look it, we can make it better. Agreed. And, and I think that's what Adams was trying to do, and yet he found himself falling victim to doing the same thing that Jefferson was doing to him in a slanderous type of way in yes. order to gain uh, favor of, the, of, of the, the electors. But, you know, John Adams, what I think was amazing to me was the memorialization of history through his letters mm. to his wife, Abigail. Yes, and, and you, you can't ignore how significant and how impactful that has been uh, to historians and to us understanding that period of time in our mm -hmm. nation. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know you've, you've, got, you've probably got several of those letters there. And I do. It, it, 
I, let me let me read one as you talk. As I love as you said, you get to see history through his eyes. And then through his wife's eyes, they correspond back and yeah. forth. And it's, it's really probably one of the most beautiful love stories in American history, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It really is. Absolutely. They, they call each other my dearest friend back and forth. And they have this, this beautiful marriage, this really healthy marriage. Adams is away from his wife a lot because uh, he's, in, he's in France doing diplomatic work and he's in yes, London doing diplomatic work. And they're riding back and forth. And basically, kind of like Washington, all he wants to do is be back home. And he says, oh, like, basically, that quote from Plato last week that yeah. those who don't desire power are the ones most fit to hold it. Um, that's what we see in Adams. But Adams talks about, I think this is really interesting. When the Declaration of Independence is signed, you get to see him pinning back to his wife. Now, obviously, you and I know it was uh, really the second day of July, not the 4th of July, but right. that's beside the point. And he said this, the second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized a pomp and parade with shows, with games, with sports, with guns, with bells, with bonfires and illuminations to the end of the continent to the other. From this time forward and forevermore, you will think me transparent with enthusiasm, but I'm not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration. hundred years later, the Civil War. Mm-hmm. He was forward thinking, as you already said. And support and defend these states yet through all the gloom. I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means and that posterity will triumph in the days of transaction, even though we should rue it, which I trust to God we will not. Isn't that, isn't that very powerful? And what's amazing to me is that the revolution hadn't really started yet. No. And they were taking on the most superior army in the world. And Navy, by far. And, and, and they hadn't either. <laughs> and here he is... Saying, you know, 100 years from now, this will be still celebrated. And, and it's like, man, you haven't even gone out. There. You, How can you? I mean, his faith, his confidence, yes. his belief in, in, in a greater nation that was a democracy that, that, that allowed people to yes. be involved in the, was just amazing. And it's like, come on, John, you, you, you're just, you know, some guy from Massachusetts and you're <laughs> taking on King George. Yeah. Who is, who's, who's already got his armies over here in Boston and, and the surrounding Philadelphia, and you yes. think you're going to do this. It didn't matter to him. No. And then throughout the whole revolution, him and Abigail, yes. hundred of what was it, 1,100 letters? Yes. Amazing. Yes. yes. I think there were only three they found between Martha and George Washington. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, 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 you know, you look at it today. I, I, when I, was, I tried this when I, was in, when I was in both the legislature and in Congress, uh, I would try to, at one point I would write a postcard, I had prepaid postcards, and I'd write to my wife what we were doing that day, and I'd drop it in the mail to That's her. That's cool. And, and, and then th- then email came along, and I was doing that. But every now and then, I didn't communicate near as effectively as John Adams did. But I found that it helped me understand better what I was doing and what was going on. And I felt somewhat more relieved that I was at least letting others know That's cool. uh, the way things were. And, and I would love to see that more often. Yes. I mean, that that intimate discussion lays a better foundation for what we were and what we can become. I like that. And, and, and you know, John Adams did that. You know, to this day, I still keep a journal since I've kept... Uh, since I was a freshman in college, not near as as, as well as that, but but still, well, who is as eloquent as he was? No, I mean, no, yeah, you're right, and and yet he, he is still one of the most forgotten. Yeah, and, you know, he he didn't even he wasn't you know him and Jefferson neither one were at the Constitutional Convention because he was I believe he was over in in Europe and, and um, Jefferson he was, was London in, at the time. Yes, where he, he was, was in London, mm-hmm. um, and then 
you know, his son becomes president too. Yes, which would be the, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's the only happened twice. It was the Adams and then it was the Bushes. Correct. And I don't think we've ever had it. No. Since then. No. Throughout any American history. So, uh, yeah. And I believe it was McCullough that actually spoke about that, that when Adams heard that his son was elected, he's an older man now, yeah. that he actually began to weep in his study because not only was he proud of him, but he knew the trials he would face. How interesting. Like, can, can you imagine as, as like a dad and you've walked through these, these, these slanderous attacks and the, the, these, yeah. these battles and then your son takes up the mantle and you're excited, but you also know that in, in many ways the hell they're going to go through. And that changes the perspective of, of really the way that you celebrate with them. Yeah. So, hey, but you know, in McCullough's book, he talks about, I remember this passage about him talking about going to Germany, to, 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 to Prussia then, yes. and, and taking his son, John Quincy Adams, with him on the boat and how they were tossed about and whatnot. But his, he exposed his son early on uh, to, I think, the, the benefit of international relationships. Yes. And I think it was his son was the first ambassador to Germany. I'm not sure. That uh, sounds right. Uh, but he was, he was, he was, he wasn't force feeding him, but he was giving him a front row seat. I like that to the leadership of this country, and 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 then again, as you know, what happened? I don't. John Quincy Adams and, and Andrew Jackson have their own. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other podcast Ooh. at another yeah, time. Yes, that campaign, is. but um, John Adams uh, to me, I wish I, I I try to think who is the John Adams of today, mm. and I don't know if I can find anybody. That's good, and 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 it's it's good, but it's not good, right? And and um, but it's a challenge. It, it is a challenge. <laughs> And, and again, I think that's why David McCullough was so brilliant in his book about him because he, he realized how important this one person was yes. to the development and how necessary we are to have somebody of this day and age like that. Yeah. I, I mean, humility to me is one of the greatest qualities any leader can ever have. Agreed. It's one of the more experienced maturity, I believe. Absolutely. And, you know, John Adams, even though him, even though him and Jefferson – Became mortal enemies after the election mm-hmm. that Jefferson won. They also they they eventually patched it up. They did, you know, and about and, a ten year stint. Yeah. they became enemies and then patched it up at the end. Became very good friends. Um, one of the things we keep talking about is his mind. He was brilliant. Uh, he had a personal library of about thirty five hundred books, which was massive. We have to remember, there's no digital books. There's no Amazon to buy things from. Like you're importing yeah. books. They're expensive. Um, this, of course, as you know, is what cost Jefferson his fortune was the amount of books. Well, books, yes. and, books and fine wine, really. But yeah. nonetheless, his fortune was pretty much spent on those things. So these are expensive. He's got 3,500 books. And as we look at them, almost every one of them have been read and had like notes in the margin. He spoke and read fluently Greek, Latin, and French. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So this is why, as we talk about, in many ways, he's the opposite of Washington. Washington is like this powerful man, this athlete, but he's blue-collar in many ways, right? Yeah. He's this blue-collar mind. And Adams is more of a white-collar mind. He's reading, like, Cato, and he's reading Suetonius, and he's reading Thucydides. I mean, he's reading them in the classic Greek and Latin. But because of that, they have very different demeanors in the way they carry themselves. Yes. And I think they're respected differently. Washington was respected and somewhat feared by men. And maybe Adams at time was overlooked by men. I think you're right. I think because of the machoism maybe at the yes. time that, 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 that here was Washington who was the commander in chief that, that won the revolution, that really portrayed man as, as a dominant force. Mm-hmm. And here was Adams, the intellectual. Yeah, absolutely. And saying, okay, now that we've gained our freedom, where do we go from here? Let yes. me lay the groundwork. Let me pave the road through. Yes. through you know, and again, he, he shows a great example in 1780 when he drafts the Massachusetts Constitution that is still in effect today. Yes. That was the framework for the United States Constitution. I mean, this was a guy that, that really looked at all the what ifs as 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 history would remember him and say well, this happens and this happens and we have to make sure that we preserve this you know 
he even he he even he what he was the father of the um, uh, of the American Academy of, yes. of, of for Arts and Sciences. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, he was this, a Renaissance man. He was very much a Renaissance <laughs> man. Yes, and he was very he he was very devout in his faith. Yes, he was. Yeah. You know? Um. One of the things you said, and I want to pick that apart a little and, and, and comment on that. One of his quotes was, "I must study politics and war." So that my sons may have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. And, and I like what you were saying, that here's Washington, like the sign of manhood. And he's put there during the time of the revolution. And I don't think anyone else could have held that post. Like no. Adams could have not done that. Oh, no. <laughs> like at oh, all. Oh, no, no, right? no, no, no. We don't need the nerd leading the no, army. No, 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 you, no I mean, no. can you imagine this? Yeah. What are you going to do? Like quote Cato and Latin to him? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not going to work. <laughs> at the same time, Washington could not have held the post when Adams did. For example, think about the XYZ affair. Adams yeah. kept us out of war with France. Mm-hmm. At a time when we probably couldn't have beat France, specifically True. not on the water. Washington already wanted to come out of retirement and go back to war. Yep. You see the mind of Washington. He's like, strap your guns on. It's yeah. time to go, right? Yeah, and yeah. Adam's like, no, we're not going to war yeah. again. And it's almost, it reminds you of the providential hand of God. God raises up a leader for every time. Washington was the leader that had to be there in 1776 and so forth. Adams is the man that had to be here now. And you can almost see God supernaturally raising up those leaders well for exactly the time. Yeah. And you couldn't have crisscrossed them. No. They, they couldn't, they're not interchangeable. No. They were for the right time, the right person. And, 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 you know, and diplomacy really came to fruition through Adams. Yes. And I think that's where his intellect really became contagious to others. Obviously, the politics got involved and he lost yes. to Jefferson. But, you know, as we talk about Madison and those down the line, you know, that were also highly intellectual, I think Adams was the source of, of at least their inspiration uh, for their passion for this nation and building. You know, one of the things he he um, he he, it, 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 he had a, pre- issued a presidential proclamation calling for a national day of fasting. Mm. Imagine that happening today. Oh man! Oh, imagine that. <laughs> Can you imagine the media's response to oh, that? Oh my gosh! You know, we do have a national day of prayer, and I've attended that when I was in Washington D.C. And I think that's wonderful. And thank God we still do that. Yes. But, you know, here's a guy who understood his mortality, who understood his spirituality, and he also understood the divine intervention that happened to create this nation. Yes. And, 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 and that was also a groundwork that was laid by George Washington, yes. followed thereafter by many of our presidents. And, and we just need to have the discussion as part of our American history that this actually happened. Absolutely. We don't need to ignore that. Absolutely. And if we want to debate whether this is true or not, you know, th- th- then let that debate go on. But let us not forget it. Let's not forget that these founding fathers were strong in their faith. Yes. Uh, and and uh, I'm, I'm just uh, – I, I, I just like Adams because he's that guy that you just kind of rub on the head and say, yeah. okay, you know, go over there and take care of this, John. We, we, we're not sure what to do. And he would take care of it. Yes. You know, I mean, he was yes. a strong family man. Oh, very much um, so. But he was the right guy at the right time. And it's amazing we don't have any monuments to him in Washington, D.C. I want to touch on, on the idea of faith because this is uh, debated a lot about Adams because as a, a later man, he claimed to be Unitarian, right? right? And everybody jumps on that. It's like, well, he wasn't even really, you know, in, in our terminology saved. However, his understanding of the Word of God, his understanding of Scripture is, is pretty pretty evident throughout. He's often misquoted as saying, and I want to read the full quote so we get an understanding of this. 20 times in the course of my late reading have I been upon the point of breaking out this would be the best of all possible worlds if there were no religion. People stop there all the time and they go, see, Adams did not want religion. That's not what the full quote actually says. He continued on and he said, without religion, this world would be something not fit to mention in polite company. I mean, it would be hell. 
So here is Adams, and, and yes, at times it seems like he got disgusted with maybe the politics of religion, maybe the infighting of churches, and I think we can all agree with that. Oh, gosh. Right? When you have, what, 10,000 denominations, you think you're going to have a little conflict exactly. every now and then? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but here is Adams, and he says, but if it was not for religion, if it was not for a solid faith, this country would turn to hell. I think he was spot on back then, too. Yeah. And he described himself, I believe the, the terminology he used was, I am a church-going animal. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an interesting terminology yeah, to use, yeah, yeah, it is. but that's the way he described himself. So no doubt he was a man of faith. We can debate over the the orthodoxy of his faith, yeah. right? But he was a man of faith. He was a man of faith, and he was the first one to live in the White House. Yes, for only four months. Right. Yes. <laughs> and if, correct me if I'm wrong, but on the mantel place, I believe I yes, wrote this quote is. down. It is inscribed. And it has been continued to be inscribed in every uh, presidency as they would redo the mantel place. It is inscribed: May and none yeah. but honest and wise men ever rule under the roof of this house. It is there. I have seen it many times Yes, in, in, in the uh, state dining room. And I like um, that it starts with honest. Yes. Uh, you, you know, again, him and his wife were a tremendous team. Mm. You, you know, at the time, women didn't have the right to vote. You know right. I mean? It was just, but he relied on her so much mm. for not only inspiration, but encouragement. And and she was she was a very wise woman, and in in her letters in response to him, you know, I mean, she had he, a keen mind. She had a very keen mind, very and, much and so. he relied on her yes. uh, guidance and yes. counsel. And that's that's what we need. That's you know, we still have that in some instances today, but we need to promote that. Yeah. We need to encourage that between couples that are active in leadership yes. roles, because there's there's there are so many sides to everything, and I think Adams. Adams did his best to divorce the, 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 the influences of subjectivity and to focus almost entirely on objectivity without emotion so he, that he knew that there would be a process by which a nation could continue to build and like resolve that. many differences. I like that. But, you know, again, as an abolitionist, he knew that, that slavery was never healthy yes, for this nation. Absolutely. But he also knew that given the right framework, that it could eventually be addressed very painfully as it was, mm -hmm. and then resolved. Yes. We still have many of these problems today, but the framework that was put in place by somebody of the nature of John Adams has led us to be considered still by far the greatest democracy known to man, democratic form of government known to man. I agree, and I believe the framework that is in place, the framework doesn't need to be changed. The framework will help us still deal with some of these issues that are around today. Absolutely. There are issues, right? We, we would have to be daft to say yeah. that there were not issues. There are issues that we still have to work through, but those issues can be met through the government structure that we have. Absolutely. And, you know, to think that, that John Adams, again, put his own personal self-interest mm. Aside and looked at the greater good. How many times do we want to see that? I mean, I would love to see a presidential candidate or, or any any elected official say the greater good demands this, and I yes. will put this uh, my interest aside to do this. Yes, and and they're out there. There are those leaders out there. But will they ever be elected in in this time? That's a, that's the age old question. Because right now. people okay, elect people that are like them, and people elect people that are going to give them something. Oh. You know, I mean, the, the government largesse has, has been the, the greatest thing for people to want to have a reason to vote for somebody. You know, what's in it for me? Well, what was it that um, the Romans used to say, give them bread and circus? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, in, in modern day times, uh, food and free Netflix? I, I yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know, you know, uh, a chicken in every pot and a, a car in every garage. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. what's in it for me? Why would I vote for you? And you yes. now, you know, we're going to eliminate your student loans. Well, then I got to vote for you because I have student loans. Well, that's, you know, it's... <laughs> yes. 
Adams would be the one that would say, hey, wait a second. Mm -hmm. This is what's called tough love. Yes. This is parenting. Yes. This is what you need, not what you want. Yes. And and that's where I have to be as a leader and say, this is better for everybody. And I'll take the heat for it. Well, I like what you said. And I think this leads directly to what you said. He was future thinking. Very much so. It wasn't just about me. It's about them, my children and their children. And I think one of the problems we have in the 21st century is we think about us Instead of saying, how is this going to affect my kids and their kids, am I establishing a sustainable, functional government that's going to get better with time, or am I milking it now and going to make it worse in time? Yeah. And that takes forward thinking. And I like, to back up another thing you said, I really, really like this, is you said he had a healthy relationship with his wife. And I, th I think about this. I think that healthy couples create healthy families, healthy families create healthy men, and healthy men create healthy leaders. I agree with you. We need that again. Well, we do. Right? We need healthy men and women to be uh, our leaders. Both. Absolutely. Yes. Because we need both. And healthy couples produce both, healthy men and healthy women, yeah. to be healthy leaders. Right? It's a great balance. It is. I've been able to live it. I've been very fortunate with that. And I've, I've witnessed it in others, too. And I think that the Adams family, <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying is, you know, laid a great... Uh, uh, precedent for yeah. leadership couples. And I follow. agree. I'm only five years into my marriage, but feel the same way. I'm, I'm so blessed. And I, I would not have accomplished what I have accomplished if it was not for my wife. And I think Amen. I think you're you're right. And I think that's something that's, that's missing in a lot of times in today's politicians. Well, I'm finishing. I'll be in 40 years in just a couple months. So, wow. And I will tell you that I've been very blessed, although I've stress tested it many times. But uh, I can only imagine how John Adams relied so heavily on his relationship yes. with his wife. Yes. Because you find that solace. You find that that, that peace, you find that inspiration in knowing that you have that relationship. Absolutely. It can be a competitive relationship, and I'm sure theirs was a competitive yes. relationship, but it was also a collaborative and cooperative absolutely. one. Absolutely. And that is evidenced in their writings. And they challenged God. each other. They absolutely, they became better because of it. Yes, agreed. And our nation gained the benefit <laughs> as a result. Let's move a little bit to what made him so unpopular and what absolutely cost him the election, and that's the Alien Sedition Acts. Mm-hmm. This is the downfall of Adams in every way. And honestly, everything we've said so far was who he was. And this is where he kind of gives into his ego, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Alien Sedition Acts are basically saying if you speak against the president, yeah, we're, we're going to come after you. you. Yeah. And if I, I wrote the stat down, what was it? Um, 26 individuals who were prosecuted. The majority of them were editors of newspapers who were rivals of him. Absolutely. You're going after a free press. Come yeah. on, are you Mussolini now? I mean, what... What is going on? And, and this makes you wonder about the whole debate right now in politics, because this is president of politics, but both. When you look at the idea of what, how much free speech is going to be allowed in social media and other platforms, it makes you start to wonder about this idea of the First Amendment rights and of free speech and how far do we go to begin restricting speech or should we at all? Well, I think that for as brilliant and as, as, as incredible as he was as a leader, he was still a fallible man. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, in the old adage, uh, you know, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, a lot of mistakes have been made by many presidents, by many yes. leaders, even, even, even modern ones. <laughs> yes, 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 including him. Yes. Uh, and I can see how the temptation gets there. I can see how you, 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 you submit to it because you're looking at – you know, am I going to be around? And mm. and the the I don't believe in what they're saying about me, and that needs to be stopped. How do you do it? Well, you're president. You know, get the alien <laughs> the and bully sedition pulpit. Act. Yeah, the bully pulpit. The bully yeah. pulpit. And, and and it can be very effective, and we see that today still. And you're right. That was the downfall of John Adams. But I think it was also, you know, a confirmation that that we're never going to have the perfect leader. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, in 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 our government. Mm. It, it's it's. We're all susceptible to this. Yes. It's a question of how we address it. Yes. And and 
and the need for checks and balances. Absolutely. And I think that's where you see that God was really involved in the yes. design of our country because yes. he knew that if we allowed one person or one body to be in control, it would destroy itself very quickly, but having each one being accountable to each other in order to avoid, you know, succumbing to temptation through this checks and balances, we would have a nation that would sustain yes. itself, and it has continued to do so. And the Alien Sedition Act uh, did the exact opposite of what he wanted. Yes. Instead of keeping him in power, it pushes him out of power and just like throws the presidency to Jefferson. And if you think historically about the pendulum effect, Right, America's always in a pendulum. We're always swinging yes. from side to side, and we can never stop in the middle for some reason. Hmm. We always have to keep going, right? <laughs> we can campaign on it, but <laughs> right? we can't. We can't we keep it. swinging You're right. out, and I don't know why we can't find that middle and kind of slow down and stay there. The further left we swing, and the further right we swing, and the further right we swing, the further left we swing, and before long, we've got to be able to start slowing that pendulum down a little bit, because all we're doing is feeding fuel to the other side anyway. As soon as he does this. The Jeffersonian Republicans come into power with glorious applause, right? And I think we've seen that throughout America's history. Absolutely. The right's in for a while. We, we love them. Then they start doing things people don't like. And the left gets in and we love them. And it's just this constant swing back and forth. However, political scientists tell us that's what makes us healthy. They say if there's not a full change of power every 10 years, then it's not a true free government anyway. But from your experience in Congress, how do we slow the pendulum down some? How do we find that middle ground so we're not constantly swinging from one side to the other? Well, I have deliberated this many times with many people, <laughs> so there's no real silver bullet, but my, my immediate answer would be that we need to demand more consensus from our leaders. I like that. And what I mean by that is is that we, we, we find to ourselves associating with people of like-mindedness. Yes. And the more you associate yes. yourself with only like-mindedness, the more extreme you get. That's right. That's what leads you there. That's right. And yet... You know, when you look at a marriage, when you look at a business relationship, these relationships are not all in agreement on everything. That's right. There is controversy. There is difficulties. And unless you address those controversies and difficulties, you're not going to resolve those. So you have to find consensus. Mm -hmm. And I think we as an electorate, as the people, the citizens of this nation, we need to demand more consensus building, yes. bringing our sides together. Because the polarization that has continued to divide our country since its inception mm -hmm will lead us to, I, I, I think, a, a, an, an absolute collapse over Agreed. time. And if we're not going to do it financially, we may do it politically. Agreed. And so, I, you know, when I was in Congress, we, we had some interesting times. The, the, everything was political. You know, we, we weren't even allowed at one point. The leadership didn't want us co-sponsoring a bill with a Democrat. And I disagreed with that because I, no one pa party has a monopoly on good ideas. That's right. We've, we, we, the citizens, the ones that are empowered by the Constitution, uh, need to demand that we seek consensus building leaders. It's, it's we're the consumers. We yes. want the best product. Yes. You know, don't tell us what we're going to have. We want you yes. to, to give us what we know we need to have. Yes. And that's a good government that can work across the aisles. It's okay to have, I mean, as you say, compromise is not a bad word. No, I mean, look at the look at the Constitutional Convention. I mean, right. my gosh, the great compromise there that, that right? was it Richard Sherman gave. You know, I mean, yeah, compromise has been the basis upon which we've resolved just about everything. In we this have nation. to have win-win uh, contracts. In in this sense, I always tell my classes when we study war, we look at the unconditional surrender of Germany yeah. in War One, and it led to War Two. If you if you come up with something where one party loses and loses greatly, then there's going to be a greater conflict in the future. Absolutely. We understand that in military. I think it was uh, Colonel Tim Collins, really famous uh, for the, the North Irish Army during the 9-11 the attacks. And he made the statement, if you are ferocious in battle, you must be magnanimous in victory. Hmm. And I like that. And we understand that from a military standpoint, but we need to understand that also from a political standpoint. Like, if we dominantly win, 
Can't we be more magnanimous to try to pull the other side over instead of just like crushing them when they're down? Yeah. It was Lincoln. I mean, there was, there was, I mean, again, another podcast, another time, but <laughs> yes. he was magnanimous. I mean, yes, he, 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 he essentially, you know, exonerated the Absolutely. South of, of any crimes yes. in order to bring them and back. And did not demand an unconditional surrender, allowed Correct. Lee to come in with some demands for the freeing of his men and other things, did not demand just basically yeah. we're going to put the boot on you. Yeah. And, yeah, and oppress you for the rest of your uh, existence. Absolutely. I want to come to kind of tying this together as well. One of the quotes that Adam said, and I really like this, liberty cannot be preserved without a general knowledge among the people. And what Adams was, was saying here, and, and, and I want to hear your, your thoughts on this too, is that a democratic republic system only works when you have a virtuous, intelligent, well-read people. He said that. He, virtuous. Yes. I think you'll find that if you, and I've, I've talked about this in the past, Washington, Madison, Franklin, Jefferson have all used the word virtuous. Yes. And, and, and you know, our nation doesn't exist unless the people exhibit virtue. Yes. And, and that's what Adams was giving us. Yes. And, and, you know, you've got to have a virtuous people. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yes. Now, all this writing, all this system doesn't work without virtue. Yes. It's like self-interest. Mm -hmm. We've got to put self-interest aside mm -hmm. and put in place personal responsibility. Yes. And I think that's the virtue that we seek in order to keep our nation together. We need to raise awareness to that. Hmm. We need to challenge people to be virtuous. We may even have to give examples of virtuosity Good. in order for others to understand. Well, that's what history uh, is, isn't it? Uh, it is well, examples it, of yes. virtuosity. That's the whole point of history. Yes. yes. And, and I also, I love this idea of virtue, but also this idea of knowledge. It doesn't matter how great all these documents are if we have a people that can no longer read and understand what they're saying. Yeah. There has to be a basic sense of knowledge and of literary understanding. One of the things I, I often think about is, as you see, and you and I have talked about this a lot, in America as a whole, there's the denigration of the humanities and of history. Oh, yeah. Other the countries don't do that, right? Here, I mean, here in America, you can get a bachelor's degree and take one history class. In Russia, it's eight for any bachelor's degree. I think it was Karl Marx who made the statement, which I, I hate quoting Marx, but I'm using this for a reason. He made the statement that people devoid of their history are easily controlled. I couldn't agree Think more. about that. Why is it in America that we no longer teach much history, no longer teach much humanities, we no longer teach much classical studies? Because when we can critically think through these things and we understand our people, we understand our heritage, we understand that, that virtue, what comes from that, that's one of the things that helps us keep our system in place. Amen. I agree with you. <laughs> We're preaching the choir, right? Well, and, you know, I mean, and higher education plays that role. I mean, uh, K through 12 plays that role. But yes. yet we're – and even a history class can be something as innocuous as, the, you know, the history of basket weaving. I don't know. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Underwater basket weaving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be American history anymore. Yeah. It's, and that's where I think we're failing this next generation yes. in l not allowing them to understand and develop virtuous yeah. habits. Yeah. Three. Okay, three, four generations from now, what happens when uh, we don't know who Washington is? Yeah. I mean, even think about this podcast that you and I are doing, which which I'm thoroughly enjoying. When we get to some of those middle presidents, Miller Fillmore, yeah, Garfield, yeah, James K. Garfield. Like, I mean, I teach history at a collegiate level, and some of these guys, I'm scratching my head, going, I don't think I've ever had a course ever dedicated to them. We're going yeah. back and like pulling up their letters and you know going wow. to these sites and trying to read through their life again because no one remembers, no one remembers, and honestly, no one cares on some of I know. these. And at the time and in, in place in in history, when they were there. That was the most important thing. That's cool. And they had a reason to be there. We need to understand why. Yes. And what their contribution was. Yes. Whether it was positive, was it negative? You know, let us learn from it. Yes. Uh, I believe you made a statement before that political capital is the... Most appreciable asset in the world? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And as you said, I like that. They were the most powerful person in the world at that time. 
at the snap of their fingers, they could control most of the geopolitics yeah. of the world. And now we couldn't even tell you who they were married to You're or right. how long they were in office right. or anything else. So these people were there for a reason. And sometimes we just learn from how horrible they did the job, right? Yeah. Some of these people yeah. are like, <laughs> you, just, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you learn how not to do yeah. things. Yeah. Andrew Johnson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But there's something to be said of that, right? Yeah. Um, a wise, I think the last podcast we talked about this, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others, right? Absolutely. I mean, so that's one of the points of history. It, we said this last week. It is not only prescriptive. A lot of times history is simply descriptive. Yes. It tells us what happened, and then we glean from it. We find those areas that are off, and then we don't want to follow that again. I agree. So uh, Adam's, uh, again, just what a brilliant mind. Stepping in the shadow, stepping out of the shadow of Washington. I always yep. think about uh, Moses and Joshua. And the book of Joshua opens up. It says, now Moses, my servant, was dead. And the very next word to Joshua is don't be afraid. Because right? <laughs> you're taking over a position out of Moses. And I think about that with Adams. Adams stepping after Washington. Yes. And I, it's almost that saying, don't be afraid. You're yeah. having to step in some shoes that are literally too big for you. Yes. <laughs> and figuratively too yes. big for you. But it was his mind. And again, God raised up a person for every time, a man and a woman for every time for leadership. And God raised up Adams for this time period. Washington couldn't have done it. You're right. He was the man for the time of the job. So the question is, as we look to the future, God's raising up some new leaders, some new men, some new women, and we need to support them and help them get into positions of leadership to be a virtuous nation again. I am committed to doing that. But well, I will tell you one of the things, and, and, and Hollywood could not write the script any better, uh, that on his deathbed. Oh, I like this. 50 years to the this. day. Yes. Him and Jefferson. Yes. Both passed away. Yes. And uh, Jefferson preceded him. Yes. Yes. And Adams was disappointed because he thought that he <laughs> was not going to survive yes. Jefferson, and he did. Yes. Uh, July 4th. July 4th, 50 years to the day. And I day. believe it was David McCullough who makes a statement. He said if Hollywood were to, to write this, they would say it was overdone because the cannons are shooting yeah. like in celebration July 4th as he's dying, and then it begins to rain. Like, it sounds like a cheesy Hallmark movie. It does, but it's reality. It is reality. This and is, I love that. I, I do too. I, call it coincident. Call it divine intervention. I don't yes. know. Call it what you want, but it's true. Yes. And I like yes. it. Yes. Yeah, so uh, today we've been talking about Adams, the one of the most brilliant minds Absolutely. of the American presidents. And next week we'll pick up on Thomas Jefferson. Probably the sec the two <laughs> those are the two brilliant minds, right? I think of all the presidents, yes. those are the two minds. Yes. You have Jefferson, you have Adams. So next week we will continue on looking at Jefferson. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>